was I known as a bartender at the Lexington for, for uh, yes, I mean, people would literally say my name like Sonny, the bartender from the Lexington with glasses. That was professional dog walker and musician Sonny Hare. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. When Sonny moved to the city, he and his friends found plenty of bars, but something was missing. In the late 1990s, he and Leela Thurkeld took over a boarded-up corner bar in the Mission and turned it into the Lexington Club. Until just a few years ago when it shut down, the Lexington was a staple of the lesbian and queer woman scene in the neighborhood. In this podcast, Sonny will share the story of opening the Lexington, and he'll also talk about some of the changes he's seen over time in the city. Here's Sonny. These microphones for those listening are, uh, they really resemble a Bob Barker microphone. Um, so I feel like I need somebody to come and like powder my face. Uh, yeah. Just They'll be here any minute. Oh, good, just good. Flag okay. a little bit behind me. We just got the dogs <laughs> to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Lexington, I was... 22 years old when the Lexington opened. Um, my involvement with the Lexington, uh, the owner, Leela Thurkeld, and I met when I f- first moved to San Francisco, which was either in 93 or 94. I'm really bad at, at time and years, but uh, I was 19 when I first moved here. And uh, I met her at the stud at some party, and I used to go and just play pool. That was how I would Mm -hmm. meet people, Mm -hmm. make friends playing pool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I used to hustle pool when I was a teenager. And and so I met, made a new friend, and we became really good friends. And we would, uh, we had like a, you know, small group of people that we would go and drink in all the dive bars. And our main drinking places were the Uptown, which is still still in San Francisco. Yes, it is. Uh, 17th and Cap. And then... um, we also drank a lot at the Dover Club, mm-hmm. which at the time the was original. the original in the women's building. Yes. And, uh, and you know, we had come from, like, they, Leela and, and her wife had moved from... Cody. A car. Right, it's movement. It's right outside. It's action in the world. So, uh, yeah, so we used to drink at the Dover Club. And, um, and you know, she had come from Iowa, from Grinnell. Leela had? Yeah. Okay. And um, I had moved from Florida, which is where I grew up. Mm. And so we were like, big gay San Francisco. We were here for the big gay San Francisco scene. And and there was a, there was a lot of that, obviously, mm. but there wasn't a bar. You know, there mm. wasn't a seven day a week bar. Like we had mm-hmm. moved at a time right after Amelia's mm-hmm. <clears throat> had closed. And I think that was the last like quote unquote, you know, lesbian bar. Right. Amelia's and, uh, now, um, elbow, elbow room. room. Yeah. Right. During pride, you know, they unveil the old sign. The sign. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so we were just kind of shocked that, that there wasn't just a dive bar, like a seven day a week place, not a club, not a night, but just a place that you could go and get cheap drinks and play pool and, you know, listen to a good jukebox. And, um, I mean, I don't know, dive bars in the nineties, that was the thing, right? Right. 
So, um, we, we would talk about the idea of opening a place or whatever. And then, um, one day Leela called me and said, you know, there's a place for, you know, that that's for sale or for lease. And, and, and it was between both of our homes at the time I lived at 19th and cap and she lived right by Dolores park. And I had walked by the Lexington club and it was always just like a lot of staggering, like really drunk dudes. Was it an old man bar? It was an, it was, it was a very Latin, like old, old Latin man bar. Right. And, uh, well, I'm sorry. What was it called? Do you the Lexington Just Club. called Lexington Club. Yeah, okay. it's been it's been it's been there since the twenties. Um, okay. And uh, it's always had the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sign is the original. The neon sign that we had restored and refurbished was the original wow. sign. Um, and it used to just be like a piano bar when it was an Irish neighborhood. Over the years, I had a lot of characters that would stumble in. Right. And tell me stories, you know. I was a little girl, and my mom was dating the piano player here, and wow. I would, you know, come and dance with all of the drunk Irishmen. Like, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I bet you are, you know, a healthy adult. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we went and looked at the space, and I was like, it's too small. It's absolutely too small. But um, we ended up getting it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it, it had a lot of unfortunate um, choices like in terms of remodeling, like the bar was covered in formica. There were these planners around those windows in the front that had like, you know, gross, just there were ashtrays. And right. So once we started kind of unearthing, like the bar was mahogany and, and so it was like, under the yeah, formica. Under the formica. Oh, like no. I would, Leela pulled off a piece of formica and was like, shit, okay, we're going to have to add some extra time onto our um, remodel to, mm-hmm. to restore the wood. And, you know, a big part of the restoration was us like with those little heat, heat guns, like peeling layer after layer after layer. And we had so many friends that just showed up and, and volunteered their time to help um, nice. with the work was done. Yeah, there were paid contractors, but a lot of it was done by our friends and volunteers, nice. which was which was cool. It's almost like a little co-op spirit yeah Yeah. and then when we had our soft opening i think you know neither of us were expecting what happened i mean like we had a soft opening that was just word of mouth and there were people lined up down 19th like it was crazy wow and uh lined up to get into a bar yeah that's and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing as bartenders like I we rented tuxedos and cummerbunds. Yes. uh, Pictures. There's definitely photos. There's like tons of there's tons of photos. There's a lot of archival, um, like lots of ephemera. Uh, I think there should be a. There have been. I mean, since the Lex closed, there there have been a lot of like, you know, photography shows and and Mm -hmm. people's work that that recorded um, all of the events over the years, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, my friend, uh, who's a who's a personal trainer and an awesome photographer, Ace Morgan, photographed a lot of like the opening night, the soft opening, because we had a I think we had a soft opening before we had an official opening. I, I'm not, maybe it's all the same, but we opened on January 31st in um, in what year is it? Now in 98 in 97. <laughs> Eight. Okay. 
You said you moved here in 93, 94, so a few years in. 97 that we opened. Okay. We, I think we got the keys in December of 96 and opened in Jan, late, like the end of January in 97. Okay. So um, we just didn't know. We had no idea. What Did you have a, a, either of you have a ba- uh, bartending background? No. We had um, become friends with the bartenders at the Uptown um, and the owners of the Dover were really supportive. They... Um, one of my friends who worked at the Uptown took me. She also worked at the Tip Top, which was happening for a minute at mm-hmm. 26 and Mission. It's now mm-hmm. a check cashing place. Right. Do you remember that? It sounds familiar. Yeah. And they had shows there and stuff. But um, she did some bartender training with me. Very minimal. And then I was behind that bar, like a margarita, like making the worst drinks. The sl- I mean, that night was a disaster. We did not mm-hmm. expect that many people. We didn't know what we were doing. People were getting shitty drinks, um, <laughs> but they didn't care. They were just so stoked that that this place was happening. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the first moment at the end of that night. All of us were just looking at each other like, what? Oh, OK, this is like something. This is important mm-hmm. to 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 the community, to people around. And yeah. it's and it's going to, you know, fill a, a place in people's lives that. uh that I think we suspected, but we weren't certain. Um, so that was crazy. And then, you know, and then you had to get up and do it again uh, for the next, <laughs> whatever, 10 years of my life. Um, wow. Nine years. I don't remember how long I was there, but a while. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I was the manager and I would, you know, was hiring and, and recruiting all the people. And I was also the youngest staff hmm. member. So, I'm sure that I was like the most annoying, <laughs> right? Being like, you guys do all this stuff. And then I'm like the one, you know, drinking. And we were just, we, it took us some, some time to get our like operational systems in, in order. We right. didn't really have a lot of that in the beginning, but then obviously you can't run a bar for 18 years like that. Like once, once we've kind of got it fine tuned, um, it just, seemed to I mean it didn't not run itself it, it took a lot of work to keep that bar going but right. um, I don't know there was just so many what one of the things that we did because we were a dive bar and did not have a lot of space we tried to, to make a lot of sp- you know specific events and nights that um, were experimental mm-hmm. that became like big things you know like the uniform party for Folsom was mm-hmm. a big tradition that people would get excited about and people would come and in costumes but it was supposed to be more like fetishy mm-hmm. but it ended up really just being kind of a costume party mm. um i don't know there was a lot we did a lot and uh every june we would be involved with Frameline and and be a big part of the film festival mm-hmm. and do a lot of opening and closing parties for filmmakers and we always had a revolving art show um so there was always right. a curator Various people did that job over the years, but mm-hmm. Lila was always the one that was mostly um, handled the the art. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I feel like the Lexington took on a life of its own. It just became its own thing. I would guess also, like you said, you'd been here a few years by the time it opened. Yes. You're immediately meeting so many people through by the virtue of being there and yeah. running it. Well, so my story is like when I moved to San Francisco, I moved into a house with like 
six other musicians and artists. And I got, like, I found the house. I was initially in Berkeley, and then I went to Rainbow Grocery when it was at mm-hmm. 15th and Mission or okay. whatever. And they had a big bulletin board, and that's where you would find your housing, right? So I Old found school. a flyer, and uh, a friend of mine knew some people in this home. So I went not, and interviewed. I was about to say auditioned, but um, <laughs> I interviewed for to live there and got the house, and... Then I got a job working at the Bearded Lady. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in San Francisco queer history, like, do you know the Bearded Lady? I know of. Yeah, so it was gone. a cafe. Yeah, it's long been long gone. gone. But it was a cafe at 14th um, between, like, Guerrero and uh, Valencia. W- yeah, and where, not where, uh, what is it even called now? Whiskey, not Whiskey it's, No, it's across the street from, from that okay. bar. Okay, okay. It used to be Oh, hush. it's a condo now. No, I think there's still, um, I don't know what's in that actual space now. I think mm. it was where like needles and pens or something oh, yeah, was yeah. before. Yeah, and yeah. So <clears throat> I worked there from, I had other jobs, but that was a job I had for a couple of years, which was really my first kind of intro into into like the the real San Francisco queer community. Okay. Um, that was what we had. We didn't have a bar. We had a cafe. Right. And so they... They had, um, you know, art openings. They had performances there. And Mm -hmm. the owners of the Bearded Lady um, were artists. And there were three of them. And, like, you know, they're now still to this day, like, pretty successful artists and filmmakers. And um, so it was, I was already kind of put in the epicenter of, of that community Mm -hmm. um so when the bar opened i think that it was really my job as someone who had already been the face of like a kind of part of the scene you know Mm -hmm. to 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 tell everyone and to get people to know about the bar and so um so yeah i did already know a lot of the people but of course there became it just there was a revolving cast of Mm -hmm. New people would move to to San Francisco. They would spend every night at the at the bar, literally. Right. right. Every night. It was like their living room. Yeah. And that was what we wanted. Um, if you were new and you came to the city and you didn't have friends, like you came come to the Lexington and and find people. And oftentimes they would find girlfriends, you know, mm-hmm. and then disappear for a couple of years and then come back after they because they'd like U-Haul, you know. Right. I'd be like, this is so and so. Buy them a drink and then not see them for two years and then <laughs> they'd come back like remember that night well we fell in love we got married and we just broke up i'd introduce them to somebody else i mean i saw that literally that it's it's not even an exaggeration over and over again yeah but um yeah i think that with the lexington closing recently i guess it's been a couple of years now but mm-hmm. um it's uh it, it's so emblematic of just how different the city is right mm-hmm. I, I i don't think it's just about queer culture it's like the the i mean what what, what is san francisco now it's, homogenous right boring it's not, it's not an arts community you know you can't much less so at least like much less I know, so i'll probably get some flack from people that are like 
it's a vibrant like it, it's not no. <laughs> I mean, no you can't be you can't be young and broke and here experimenting you know you, you, you like i lived in a the place that i moved into my whole my bedroom was as big as this whole living room here and and i paid 234 two three four i remember oh yeah was my rent. <laughs> memorable you know and um and i had a a room upstairs to, in which I could play drums. Right. I had a music studio just above me in my house. Mm -hmm. So I could work at a cafe. No, and I, and I, I mean, I've had, I, I've had, you know, I, 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 I raised a, a, a human who was going on to be an artist and was living, you know, my daughter had moved, had gone to school at, at Santa Cruz and then had been touring as a musician and was, was like settling in and was living in the East Bay. And it was clear to me that, that there was still pockets of that there. Like, I feel like there is still, you know, an underground art scene that's sort of blooming over there. But mm -hmm. um, that was prior, you know, to, to the ghost ship fire, which right. changed, I think is, uh, did change the art mm -hmm. scene and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, that was surprising to me um, that, there were still pockets there right. which people could find, but it, it was not the same. I mean, you, you, you couldn't live in a gigantic house for $200 a month, right. you know, even as a, you know, my daughter was living with a bunch of people and the rent was still way more than I could have imagined being able to pay as a young, as a young artist. Right. No way. But, um, yeah, I think I, I, I overheard somebody talking when I was on Valencia, like I had gone to see my barber or something. And, mm -hmm. and I overheard some kids talking about what San Francisco was. And they were like, it's, you know, it's cool. It's like a lot of like artisanal coffee and, and, um, you know, Rose and Dolores Park. And these were like 19 year old sure. people. And so that really just, I, I, I felt super, just shell shocked by that. Like mm -hmm. that's what a young person's idea of what, you know, what our city is about. Um, I think it's like anything. If you, you have to adapt and I've been fortunate that I live in this house, mm -hmm. um, in which I am able to, I don't own it, but I've been able to have my business here. And at this point I am the longest term resident on the street. Right? Oh, wow. So every family that had lived here since I moved in has since sold and moved. Mm -hmm. So they don't get to say shit to right. me about having a lot of barking small dogs, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm, I was here first. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of nice in that, in that I have, um, some seniority or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's about adapting. I had to find a way to get out of an industry, which wasn't serving me for a lot of reasons. I had outgrown, being a bartender mm -hmm. for, for, for a lot of reasons, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding a way to, to start a business that, um, could work for me. So dog walking has been great, but, um, you know, I wouldn't, if I got evicted, would I be able to find a home in which I could board dogs and have a yard and, and have like a deck that they can lay on when they're boarding here? And uh, probably not, not, right. not, um, in the areas that I cover, it would definitely affect me and my, and my livelihood. Yeah. You You'd know. have to go somewhere. I'd have to go somewhere outside, and yeah. I, and I would wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, and I would, 
I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm definitely on that team of like, I guess maybe I'd end up in Los Angeles or if I got evicted, would I end up moving? Maybe. I think it would depend on how easy, easy it was for me to relocate. I think some people right. are magical and one thing ends and something just appears before them. Make and shit happen. Yeah. There are people I know that are like that. Um, but you know it's not something I'm, I have to think about right now yeah so I just keep trudging along here stay up to date by following Storied San Francisco on Facebook Twitter and Instagram we have all of our episodes up over on our website which is storiedsf.com subscribe to the podcast on Google Play Stitcher SoundCloud and iTunes please let us know how we're doing or if you have a tip or a storyteller in mind for us, email us at storiedsf at gmail.com. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Begale. Thanks for listening. Check back next week when we'll hear from Myla Ablog.